What's up, everybody? Welcome inside another episode of Chillin' with Shalot. My name is TJ Shalot, play-by-play broadcaster, and through my many years traveling the country, working in different leagues all across the United States, I've come across some awesome people with even better stories. And today, joining me in studio, the man, the myth, the legend, known as Greasy Keys, Jason Atkins. Uh, Jason, thank, thank you so much. much TJ. Thank oh, you so much, TJ. It's going to be so much intro. fun. I, I have a feeling this <laughs> this may be my most listened to episode because you Let's go. You have kind of a cult following. It's impressive what you've done. Well, thank you so much. I'm just blessed and feel fortunate that uh, people love what I do. You know, being Greasy Keys is something special and I don't take it for granted. So I'm happy to be here with you and to talk about it and kind of give you a little bit of story and honestly for those of you who are out there listening who who don't know who greasy keys is greasy keys is the official organist of the charlotte checkers the kannapolis cannonballers in nearby kannapolis north carolina yes the charlotte knights and of course a full-time musician on your own right so correct anytime you come into the bowplex the biscuit and you hear that organ cranking there's greasy keys over there what section 127 27 churning them out the grease pit the grease pit <laughs> where's that sign that needs to hang on that's the front coming. of the organ that's coming this season 23 24 i guarantee you're gonna see Hop sponsored by somebody <laughs> someone's gonna sponsor the grease pit so mad toy box films maybe there you go let's let's talk so absolutely but <laughs> hey i mean you're, you're a professional musician yes you have made a living for a long time we we're yes. talking off air how long have you been doing this so i've been a professional musician now for about 26 years um, both mostly out of Charlotte, um, moved to Charlotte from Greenville, South Carolina back in, uh, 1997, 98, uh, and pretty much got plugged into the music scene pretty quickly, um, as a keyboardist, I'm a professional piano player. Um, and, uh, there aren't very many of us here in Charlotte. Yeah, so it's yeah. made it sort of like a, you know, big fish, big fish, little pond. Sure. Kind yeah. of uh, scenario where there you know, aren't many of us here. So there's plenty of work to go around. So. Which is not what usually happens when you come to Charlotte. I can speak no. from my perspective. Right. I am a very tiny, tiny fish <laughs> yeah. in a very big pond. When you talk about some of the other play-by-play broadcasters in this area, yeah, with sure. you know, the FC and with yes. the Hornets and yeah. all that stuff. But did, did you grow up loving the piano? Did you gravitate towards that and music in general? I did. Um, and growing up, um, Music wasn't a very focal point in my home. We had an old upright piano in the house that my dad had found used at, a, at an old bar that someone was getting rid of, and but it sat in our house, and every once in a while, my mom would sit down and play the old Heart and Soul, mm-hmm. right? Which is like, do, the, do, exactly, do. the quintessential uh-huh. song uh-huh. that everyone... That and chopsticks, Exactly, right? so it was the Heart and Soul. And one day when I was about 11 or 12 years old, I just sat down at the piano and picked it out by ear. And that just fascinated me um i had some older cousins and an older brother who were already playing electric guitar and so you know i was already kind of influenced by them um but to sit down at the piano and and kind of figure out hey i can do this on my own is really just lit the fire and from middle school through high school um, my cousins and i sort of had a a little family band we would play a lot of classic rock Um, we would jam and improvise you know um my cousin took guitar lessons. I myself actually never took any piano lessons. I just kind of depended on my ear, learning songs off the radio and, um, and kind of just picking things up as I went. Um, so in high school, I was able to actually take some music theory and music history classes through um, Fine Arts Center, which was sort of like a magnet school that you could apply for and be accepted through um, 
Greenville County Schools. Okay. Where right. I went to school yeah. in Spartanburg and Greenville, South Carolina. Um, and then through then, uh, after graduating high school, made some other friends and decided to move to Charlotte as a musician full time. Not really knowing whether or not it would be successful, but just as a passion that I felt like it was kind of like a calling for me. Yeah. Um, and so moved to Charlotte basically right out of high school and, and got plugged into the scene fairly quickly. That's great. How much of, you know, your knowledge now to this point yeah. is traditional music knowledge? Because I remember I, I first got my first guitar when I was 13. I yeah. took a bunch of lessons. Like, I can still tell you basic chords and all this stuff, but I'll watch people on, like, YouTube, and they're just sitting there. They'll hear something. They're like, oh, you know, that's a C add nine, and then they're going down to a major seven, and they're doing yeah. all this stuff, and I'm going, how do they even know? How much of that is you? Like, when you're up there and you're playing Crazy Train, you know, yeah. by Black Sabbath, how right. much of that is you going, okay, I need to make sure I'm doing this, this, like, and actually thinking of the notes and thinking of the scales and all that stuff, or are you just strictly I'm memorizing it by the sound, and I know where the sound hits on the keyboard? No, so when it comes to that, uh, you know, there's a mixture. You know, I've um, over the years I've taught myself how to read, so I wouldn't say I'm a very super proficient reader, but I can read at a very adequate level okay. um, to the point where you know sight reading something on the spot. Say someone makes a request. Yeah. Okay. I've done that. Yep. Someone makes a request at a game, and which is one of my favorite things about you know having the checkers gig is having folks come up and and request songs, and because uh, it really drives me to yeah. do that to to make people happy and to to make that request possible so they can hear it throughout the Coliseum. So yeah, I'll pull up the chart of something and read it. That's cool. And so, you know, some songs self taught. Like, you self taught. That's yeah. Crazy. Well, so once I moved to Charlotte, obviously, um, through the initial uh well Fine Arts Center, which is awesome program, Fine Arts Center in Greenville, Spartanburg uh area, um, I was able to learn a lot of uh, music theory, college level theory. Okay. So that really was opened up a lot of the technical side for me um, and learning about intervals and like I said ninths and sevens and things like that um, but ap applying that really came later on when I was probably in my mid-twenties when I had a friend who was already a professional music teacher okay. ask me hey would you be interested in teaching lessons and at the time you know being a young musician and with a young family I was like yes yeah, yeah. I, you know, well, that's your income, you know, I yeah. may not be very well educated, but I know more than your average fifth, fifth grader, you know, or your five year old <laughs> or seven year old. So boy, by yeah. that logic, I could teach it, a lot. of Exactly right. Well, <laughs> trust me, when you have young kids, you, depending on you, yeah, you're willing to do that. So, um, so yeah, so being a teacher actually was probably the bet, the biggest learning experience for me. Very cool. To, uh, how long know, did you do that? about 18 years wow yeah i was a teacher private teacher and taught for a couple of private schools after you know several years in, into it where i became very proficient and very comfortable in in that sort of format as being a, a teacher um that you know again was able to read and and, and ex teach not only piano but guitar i was gonna bass. say was this just keys but no, apparently well, you went a little a bit of everything but yeah. basically any rock and roll instrument like uh, when I was a very young, I was very infatuated uh, with saxophone. So my parents mm -hmm. actually, the very first instrument was the saxophone. But then again, once I kind of picked up the piano, yeah, that that drew my it. interest. Yeah, so we it. ended up I ended up consigning and selling the saxophone and buying my very first Fender Rhodes, oh, which was okay. you know uh, electronic piano yep. from the seventies, yep. you know, pre synthesizers. Yep. But uh, so that was my first real 
keyboard instrument that I had. Did you grow up in a pretty musical home? I mean, it sounds uh, like there was. Well, my big mom influence. played a little bit. My dad, yeah. uh, you know, he if he was musical, he never shared it. You gotcha. know, but I didn't. I know on my, that side of my family, like my grandfather played banjo. Okay. Um, but pr predominantly on my mother's side, I had uncles who played guitar, and said cousins. You know, I had a cousin who played drums, cousins who played guitar. So that was the side of the family that we really connected musically. Gotcha. So immediate family, you know, not so much, but extended family, you know, we were jamming. And my parents were very supportive, you know, getting me the saxophone at first and then the letting you transition. Transition to the to the piano. So they were always hundred percent in my corner, you know, moving moving, you know, out of high from high school uh, to Charlotte. You know, they were supportive in that. You know, when I didn't really have a home to go to, you know, sleeping on the couch with my bandmates for a <laughs> few months. But ultimately, it was the best decision I ever made. I feel like, a, you know, um, sort of a, a destiny of sorts. Yeah. And I'm still friends, great friends with those same musicians who I moved to Charlotte with. We actually have a, a show coming up in September that I'm going to play with them at the Visualite Theater. So That's awesome. How um, many different outfits are you in? It depends on what week. Okay. You know, so <clears throat> being a... a professional musician in Charlotte where it's not necessarily a music town um, requires you to be very diversified and so um, early on you know there was a band I came I moved to Charlotte playing in a band okay. uh, but quickly realized that um, keyboardists were a short order here and I could pick up more work with different bands and so before long within a year or two I was playing maybe like three bands okay and uh and even after like several years of that and being like, yes, I'm only playing with you guys. I'm only going to do this. You know, <laughs> it just, I found it necessary to, again, I had a young family mm -hmm. and I still wanted to pursue music. So then I got into playing, say the first few bands were all original bands. And then I got into the wedding band cover band mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, niche, which in Charlotte is obviously the a more lucrative sure, yeah. path. Yeah. You know, uh, even today, you know, I work with, couple of different wedding bands we play a lot of private events and things like that so those are the the money-making gigs as opposed to even with videos. like the checkers and the knights it's kind of a, a cover band right you're, you're playing songs people are going to recognize 100 percent. so yeah when it comes to, to playing for the checkers and the knights it's all about playing songs that are recognizable and that that's the biggest challenge and probably the most fun thing is is finding little uh, basically a tease I'm teasing sure. songs yeah. yep. which but my favorite part Obviously, besides the in-game action, is pre-game when uh, when the doors open, gates open. You know they'll let me go out there and play. So Just you come your thing, yeah. come early to a checkers game. You know at a seven p.m. game, the six six o'clock doors, and you'll hear Greasy out there playing. You know sometimes they'll let me set up in the concourse, and I'll be singing songs and playing some. Or most times I'm just at the Hammond C three playing, and so I get get twenty thirty minutes of playing. You know whatever I'd like to play, which you know that that varies from from classic rock to some jazz to maybe uh, Harry Styles you know yeah, I, that, right. that's that's my approach because I like that large palette of material you know stuff things that I've learned over the years that people love to hear that I know I can translate well to the organ and and uh, and have fun there and, and again just giving people songs that they recognize um, or just things that maybe they recognize but didn't expect Okay. You know. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You know, you'll you'll hear it during in the game. You might hear, uh, you know, an old uh, Dr. Dre hook. You know, <laughs> or you might hear, uh, you know, System of a Down. You know, or you know, Rage Against the Machine. Things that you would never imagine come off on the organ, 
being being played. And so people, you know, a lot of times I'll get a lot of comments about those. You know, people are like, oh my gosh, that was so cool. I never would have thought that or, you know, or, or whatever. So that's a lot of fun. Well, I can distinctly remember my my traditional routine is you know doors open at six mm-hmm. i like to be on the concourse at about six ten, just saying hi to fans and sure. everything like that but those first 10 minutes i gotta make sure i call do all my audio checks with you know the league make sure everything's okay and that's usually when you're there and you're just going to town and i remember one time and i'm gonna probably pronounce his name wrong but Labry Safi, mm-hmm. or or I, I think that's how you say it. Mm-hmm. But the guy basically that Eminem borrowed the hook from yes. for Hi My Name is, yes. I hear you rolling with that. <laughs> yes. and I'm like, no way. <laughs> so, like, that's a perfect example of saying, like, that's yeah. something everybody would know. You might not know the original artist and, right. and where it was sampled from, but you're going to yes. hear that and go, that, that's definitely Eminem, right? Exactly. Like, the hooks. Eminem. hooks. I'm always, and even to this day, I've, I've developed a huge rapport of hooks that I, you know, I have on my trusty iPad yep. um, that, you know, I'll keep on hand and I'll pull them out like, yep. like bags of tricks. And they're called hooks for a reason. Exactly. Right? Just, exactly. Just hook in. So I love that part of the game because, you know, it's fast paced. Yep. Uh, and, you know, and in the organ itself, again, it has a certain expectation from fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I like to sort of break beyond that and push into that and, and you know, give the DJ you know, a little yeah. room for his money. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. So you talk about all those different instruments, you know, that you've learned over the years yeah. and, and that you've even taught over the years. You, you also talked about versatility and, you know, you found early on that you could be in a couple different bands playing keyboard. Are you playing other instruments in other bands too? Because I mean, now you've got versatility twofold. Right. No, primarily uh, keyboards are like my bread and butter. Okay. You know, guitar playing, things like that, or passions. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I collect guitars as well. So, and those are usually at home or if I'm recording or something, things like that. But yeah, usually if I'm out in public, I'm usually behind the keyboard. What's your favorite guitar that you own? Um, probably it's a it's a beautiful Martin. It's a DS uh, or no D D twenty eight. Yeah, which has an amazing story in in itself. But yeah, the guitar itself. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to share. Well, sure. So, <laughs> so when I was a, a private teacher, um, had a, a client. You know, worked, worked with kids and some adults. Had a, an adult client who um, uh, always has a passion to learn how to play guitar. Never learned. You know, but was very successful um, in his business. And so when he decided to learn guitar, he went out and bought himself very nice guitars. I show up at his house and he has probably the most beautiful uh, Paul Reed Smith I've ever Ooh. seen in my life. I mean, those are and 2,500 bucks a pop. Easily. Yeah. And, uh, and a beautiful Vox AC30, but not just any AC30, but like a special wooden cabinet like cocoa wood or some kind of like insane, just probably, again, about $10,000 worth of equipment and the poor man couldn't play a G chord to save oh, his life. Oh, no. You know, but hey, you know, I was very happy and we had a great relationship and so we started out and I tuned his guitar for him. We'd get him get him strumming some chords. A few months later, he said, I show up and he's like, I decided I wanted to play acoustic guitar. Great. Well, he pulls out this beautiful Martin D28 custom shop. Oh. I mean, just like, not you're not your regular Martin D28, but like a custom shop D28. Yep. Beautiful, beautiful, stunning guitar. And so, we you know, we probably have, you know, 
go on for another year or so doing lessons. He gets to where he could play a couple of songs, but you know, most of our sessions end up being just sort of hang, hanging out sessions. Yeah. Uh, and eventually, of course, that only goes for so long. So he stops lessons and a couple of years later, I hear from him. He's like, yeah, you know, uh, I want you to have these guitars. It's like, I know you and my daughter at the time, you know, you, you guys are musicians. And so you would have a lot better use of these than I would. I was like, are you serious? I mean, that's you don't want to sell these guitars? awesome. He's like, no, I would want you to have them. And so I'm like, I'll be right over. <laughs> Can't get there fast enough. Exactly. So I go right over and, and I'm like, are you sure about this? I will give you <laughs> as many lessons as you want. You know, if you ever decide to pick back up, he's like, yeah, you know, I, I figured out I'm left-handed. I was like, okay. So that was his excuse. Okay. Whatever. If that's what he wants sure to enough. say, sure. Sure yeah. enough. Yeah. So, so yeah, he gave me this beautiful Paul Reed Smith electric guitar and wow. this stunning Martin guitar. Wow. Uh, collectors. Does it have the, uh, the, on the Paul Reed Smith, does it have the doves on the pearl inlay? Oh, yeah. And, all that? and oh. it's, and it was like the, um, it was like the hollow body oh. double cutaway. Oh, man. Oh, it's probably about a $4,000 guitar, oh, yeah. honestly. Yeah, they're, they're expensive. Yeah. Because um, it wasn't like the, it wasn't like the, whatever their brand is now they you know the paul reed smith and you have the like the it's like the lexus and the toyota exactly you know it's yeah, and even those. gibson and epiphone exactly yeah. so like their epiphone version you know they're still very expensive but this was like the real deal paul reed smith stunning guitars it blew my blew me away yeah but um i did end up selling the paul reed smith but i kept the martin because it's i mean it's a stunning guitar and it's beautiful and i love to play it it's it's a you picked the right one. It's the pride yeah. of Nazareth, Pennsylvania, which yeah. is uh, just go. outside my hometown. <laughs> That's so, amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, I grew up in and went to high school in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, mm. and nearby is Nazareth, Bethlehem, Nazareth, yeah. Israel, all that good Pretty stuff. Um, actually, when I was in college, as a matter of fact, we went to um, – I went, originally went to college to be an architect major for all of a semester, and then I realized I suck at math. Why am <laughs> I doing this? Uh, but we actually went to the Martin factory to check out how they were all made. We got a tour through the custom shop and all wow. that stuff. And somewhere I have a um, a sound hole punch because that's what they give away to people who do the tour. Oh, when fun. they punch out the sound yeah. holes, they just engrave it with, like, Martin tour and stuff like that. And um, I remember cool. seeing that, and I, I did a project after visiting that. We had to listen to a piece of music and turn it into an architectural shape. And I remember, like, you know, holding just just a simple A chord. And I remember, like, where would my fingers be on the, the fret? And it kind of goes up, and then it, like, sharply dives like that. I'm like, I'm going to build a building that kind of is like the sharp oh, scoop. And, yeah. And then I was like, you know what? This is, this is not what I thought it was. I'm going to go more into journalism and, and writing because I can't do numbers. But right. um, Martin, I did own a Martin. I did D27. Yeah. And I had it for all of a year and I wow. ended up selling it. Yeah. It was my favorite guitar. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there's just something about them. There's something, something about, them. about them. No, but, My favorite kind of guitars. I love vintage Gibsons. Those are my favorite. Mm -hmm. I had a vintage Gibson for a while that I regret ever selling, but as far as like the car, guitars that, that I have now, now that I think about it too. What's that? I've done that tour too yeah, in, yeah. in Memphis. Yeah, so yeah. that's um, fantastic. But you you mentioned also earlier that your um that your daughter was big into music. Are yes. you a musical family? I mean, everybody kind of. You, you met your wife at a show. I did. So I met my wife at a show back in nineteen ninety nine, and yeah, and so uh, we had our daughter who is twenty three now. She was born in two thousand. And she started out when she was like 11 or 12, basically singing and songwriting. Yeah. Uh, kind of pick up the ball and ran with it. Even next level, honestly. Really? Because, you know, I see myself, I'm a musician. Mm -hmm. I sing. 
Um, but I would never, I would never call myself like a singer first. Right, you know, I right. sing out of necessity. But she was just a natural singer, songwriter, wrote the most incredible songs, even at that age, um, and was fearless. Like she has a stage presence that is just you natural. You can teach that. Exactly. And so that was, that was amazing to see. And my son, he is also very musical, but he took drums. So at okay. one point we did have our little family band. Yeah, he did. In a little partridge school. family. Exactly. You know, Maya, our, my daughter was playing guitar and singing. I was playing a little piano or bass and my son Brady was playing drums. So we have a lot of fun home videos of that, of them growing up. But then as I got older, he crowded, you know, he sort of drifted away and, and uh, you know, doesn't have that passion, but he's, I would say if he wanted to, he could definitely pick it back up. So very musical, you know, but they're both incredible writers, which they take after my wife. She's the writer. Gotcha. I'm the musician. She's the, the lyricist. So, and she just, she just saw this long haired guy playing and, the keys exactly. and she was smitten. And pretty much, that's pretty great. much. That's fantastic. That's pretty much the story. She asked me out, so that's how that went. That's it's clearly going well. So many years later. Yes, sir. Twenty-four years married coming up. So. That's incredible. Have mm. one thing that too that I think that gets overlooked a lot, and I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to do this, but it's like studio musicians. Yes. Is that something that you ever like popped Absolutely. in? Like somebody's mm -hmm. like, hey, we just need someone a to lot. cut some. Yes. Quite. I'd a bit. love to hear some of those stories. So, um, so there are a few studios here in Charlotte that. Um, that are still active, you know, with obviously as technology has gotten better, you know, people have laptops, you know, basically they all come standard with a decent recording studio. That yeah, guitar or garage band. Garage or, band, you know, yeah, and yeah. have built-in beats and chord progression. So songwriting on those are, has really revolutionized the industry. But there are still some, some beautiful studios around. Um, and I've had the opportunity to record on several several actually i sat down and re try to keep count over a thousand songs from wow, different artists that's fantastic yeah i'm gonna ask you to name drop here now you know right okay so what do my you got? so my probably number one right. top thing snoop dogg Ooh, what song what album let's hear okay. it come on come on well, it's very explicit i couldn't i couldn't i couldn't Look, play the put, song for you but that's that's okay well, what's the name of the song and oh by the way if you're watching this on youtube don't right. you dare go over and search snoop dogg in another tab wait until right. the end of the show right. what do you got oh lord i'd have to look up the name so so basically snoop dogg dropped the verse on this other artist's uh song here in charlotte or did well, you no, dub no, over no, no. no i dubbed over okay now, he had already cut his vocal or whatever in la okay and so but i had the opportunity to basically record the the keyboard part Okay. For the song, so you're gonna tell us what song it was. Do you I'll have to remember? remember. I have to remember the name. All I'll right, have to, that's we'll have to edit that we'll in. We'll but give I, you a pass. I will definitely you let you know. Um, let's see. That's who else? Most mostly, honestly, mostly has been uh, local artists. Now, I've also had a, the opportunity of recording for some film and oh, TV. That's cool. So, um, the primary songwriter for the righteous gemstones which is oh uh, danny mcbride yeah yeah uh, yeah yeah. tv show hbo his main uh composer is here in charlotte and so i'll get the call for any sort of advanced keyboard parts that might be necessary and so um on a couple of righteous gemstone episodes are you getting credits for these like can oh, i pop open snoop dogg's no, album and see no, you know no, no. assorted keyboards no and, no it's not like that it's like one off you know i'm contracted in i get paid like a flat rate okay you know okay. but and, and have just bragging rights mm -hmm. you know <laughs> that's that's pretty impressive yeah though. i mean so yeah you watch episodes um 
or seasons one and two of Righteous Gemstones, you hear some piano in the background. That's Greasy Keys. That's so. pretty fantastic. <laughs> you know, because that's something we don't think about enough. You know, we don't think about music and TV and movies oh, yeah. and, and just scores in general of how important they are, like how they set the tone. Exactly. And, and that's that's pretty awesome. Was it as unique as what I'm imagining in my head where you're just sitting there watching an episode of a TV show that's not even out yet? And you're just trying to lay down or are they sending you pretty much just exactly what you have to play? And you're well, to play it's it. in those cases, it's pretty much they send. this is exactly what we need to have done or we want it to sound like this. But I have had the opportunity working with a couple of independent film uh, filmmakers locally that I've literally sat and scored as I watched the short, a short film. That's so that's cool. been really cool. So I've had that experience, too. So, I mean, it's, it's neat. It's impressive. I mean, you're talking 26 years or yeah. so that you've been completely funding your family, funding yeah. your life as a professional musician, doing all these things, mm -hmm. playing piano, playing bass, playing guitar, several different bands, studio musician, and of yeah. course, you know, the Checkers, the Knights, the yes. Cannonballers. Yes. How, how did those two worlds collide? How did you end up becoming an organist for a sports team? And who was first and, and what started it? So, yeah, the Checkers came first. Um. Uh, in 2015, uh, the Checkers were moving uh, back into the Bojangles Coliseum. They had been uptown at the uh, Spectrum Center at the time of Bobcats Arena or whatever it was called. They had played in the Charlotte Coliseum, a.k.a. Bo Bojangles, for like Forever. 40, 40 plus years. Yep. And it was my understanding that they literally had the little old lady playing the organ for, for <laughs> years and years and years. And, uh, and uh, I'll have to look it up. Actually, the late she just passed away a year or so ago mm -hmm. I, I even shared her um obituary i have to go back and find it but um but when the checkers moved back in uh, i think it was just a desire for them to utilize the organ that was there to kind of bring that element back and i had a good friend an incredible singer songwriter musician named named jessica bornius who was the piano teacher for our um for Tara, Tara Black. Oh, okay. So she taught her, her daughter's lessons, piano lessons, and maybe voice lessons. And they initially approached her about, hey, would you be interested in, in playing the organ? And sure. she said, yeah, sure. Um, when she got the schedule, she's like, well, I'm not available all these dates. Let me see if I can find someone else who might be you know, willing to help. And she just happened to reach out to me. Actually, she made a Facebook post. She's like, who in Charlotte do you think would be a great organist? Yeah. And every, everybody. everybody tagged me. So I was like, she reached out to me, which incredible. we were already friends, but you know, after putting that out there, she's like, let's reach out to Jason. And, and so we um, followed up with, um, with the checkers and, and went in and auditioned. And when I walked in and saw the Hammond C3 organ. <laughs> you talk about that organ so much. Yeah. I know you love it. Well, absolutely. You know, the Hammond organ, Hammond organ is, is uh, pretty much every keyboard player's dream organ to own and play it's the coup de gras it is, exactly yeah. coup de gras is a great, great way to put it so i walked in saw hammond c3 organ sitting there uh i knew this was going to be a great interview because for one you can't just turn it on it actually takes a series of switches that you have to hold and click and and things like that to even turn the thing on it's fickle yeah it's, it sounds so, very fickle yeah. so i knew once like that was one thing I was already up on Jessica. She, I knew she didn't know how to turn it on. <laughs> so, <laughs> so initially I sat down, turned it on and played a bit and, uh, that pretty much sealed the deal. I mean, is this like tubes in there that needs to like warm up? Is that what it is? That well, makes the sound? Yes. So, it, it, okay. The, 
the story of the Hammond organ is it was actually invented as a newfangled pipe organ. Okay. Right? It was, you know, think Kinda about it. It kind of has that sound. Well, a little bit. A little bit. Especially, that's a whole other thing. Especially dry <laughs> on its own. The sound, the sound of a Hammond organ on its own without going through what we call a Leslie speaker is a very fluty, very dry church organ sound. Okay. Um, and so if you look at the Hammond organ, you have these what are called draw bars. You actually pull them out, right? And, okay. And so each draw bar represents a length of pipe. Okay. So, you know, a long length of pipe would be a low tone. A short length of pipe would be a high, high tone. tone. And so on the Hammond organ, you have a set of nine draw bars that represent nine lengths of pipe down to like a 16-foot front of mill tone. Okay. That's the lowest tone. Um, and so you build the, the sound of the organ by pulling out different lengths of pipe. And or just different, different configurations. Exactly. And so each one, each draw bar acts as, a, as like a volume. For okay. each, each frequency. Right. So if you have all nine drawbars pulled out, you actually have a, you play a C, C note, you actually play a C chord. That's okay. how I mean. Okay. Because a note is based on the fundamental and you have overtones. Sure. Right. And so within those overtones are harmonies, which literally, like, you have all nine pulled out, you hit one note, you think you're hearing one note, you're actually hearing a, a chord. A whole bunch. A yeah, chord. you're hearing yeah. a chord. So, so, you know, um, so you can stylize or, 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 manipulate the sounds. So if you maybe you want a really brassy, really loud sound, you have them all out and you dig in all your fingers and you got a huge sound. Or you may have just say one pulled out and it sounds real soft. Delicate. Delicate, nice. exactly. When you're so when you're reading like a uh, like a piece of music, someone yeah. comes up to you and requests a song, mm -hmm. are they telling you how to pull that out or you just need to know that machine you and know you it. need to know you need to know. You have okay. Right. Yeah. So, so that really speaks to your exactly. skill set. Exactly. So you know Navigate a Hammond organ, which, you know, uh, this is from the 50s Okay. when this organ was, was built and installed. So back then, they, they actually had like, you know, the Hammond organ was, was in the home, you know, before you know, or when maybe radio wasn't as quite as accessible. Okay. You know, people had pianos and organs in their home as for entertainment. Well, they would have songbooks based for the Hammond organ. And it would have you, it would have drawbar settings, okay. recommendations. But, yep. you know, again, it's just sort of like... Like cooking food, you know, season to taste. Okay. So yeah. you know, same thing with the Hammond organ is, is you kind of learn how to manipulate it and kind of set tones for different songs or different feelings or it's a very emotive, you know, emotional instrument that you can know. And then you have a volume pedal so you can swell in make as for loudness and things like that. So it's a very expressive instrument. So. Were you part of the process, you know, in terms of modernizing that organ and making sure it sounds good at the biscuit and making sure that it, it feeds well into the speaker system and, and all that? Well, um, I, I sort of see myself as a, you know, I help not let's say physically maintain it, but I definitely keep keep the ones that you need to know abreast, you know, because it is, is an old it's instrument. It's built in the 50s. Exactly. It's probably been there since the Coliseum was built. That's my understanding is yeah. when the Coliseum was built in the mid fifties, the, organ was, the organ, in. organ was installed. Um, now it has had some modifications. Um, whereas orig originally it would have had a tube amplifier and uh, that's been replaced with a solid state amplifier. So I know that's that's the fact. A little more modern. Exactly. And again, more dependable, less maintenance required. Um, but little things can go wrong. I mean, the what they call the tone generator, okay, is uh, made up of literally tiny little wheels spinning that make contact with this metal 
that creates the sine wave. So that is the basis of the tone. And so you have each draw bar is represent, you know, has a series of wheels inside. And so that has to be oiled. Okay. So it literally has to be oiled with not just mortar oil, but like a special Hammond oil that you have to buy and, and fill up these little cups that oil the, the probably motors. not cheap. Oh no. Yeah. So, you know, but, uh, but you know, but it, it'll last a season or so, you yeah. know, like, you know, for the part of your preseason starts, checks, right? Exactly. Go in we'll oiler in up. And, 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 and folks there at Bojangles Coliseum who literally they, the city owns the organ, mm-hmm. you know, I keep sure. them, Hey, if something needs to be tweaked or, or just, um, maintenance, they, they're on it. it. Um, so yeah. Um, it's, it's impressive. Yeah. There's a lot, a lot of mechanical parts, you know, which, which is great. Um, you know, the Hammond organ, obviously, like, like I said, it's, it's every keyboard player's dream, mm-hmm. uh, obviously not very accessible. You know, they're, it's it's uh, in the keyboard world uh it's probably one of the most sampled sounds or emulated sounds like most digital keyboards nowadays have a sound that sounds very similar to that um to the you know average listener they probably wouldn't even know the difference but you know being able to sit down behind a 450 pound organ and really literally put your weight in on it and and if you know how to play correctly it's no, there's nothing else quite like it. it it can be emulated however many times through a laptop or keyboard it still doesn't quite capture the the essence it's so. you know it's just like in, in music and any anything else like there, there's nothing that sounds like old never real to real music exactly like when you're recording in a studio you know mm-hmm. no matter how digital we get no matter what we do there's you still yes. lose a little bit of that glossiness that well, it's not even glossiness. It's that 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 ruggedness, that natural mm-hmm. sound. You lose a little bit as, yeah, as you get there's older. A, there's a push and pull in in, in in real natural music, you know, that um, that people may not recognize, but it's there. That I think is very important, whether they are aware of it or not, you know, like subconsciously. And so I think that's why you know me being there as Greasy Keys has been such a a, a fan favorite. Is you know. No, no diss on the DJ. Right, the DJ right. could play a song by anybody, any tempo, anything you want. But mm-hmm. having the live organist there, people can connect with that for sure. Yeah, and so and I'm glad you brought that up because yeah. one thing that I wanted to ask you, I'm starting to see it a little bit now. This is your first year with the Charlotte Knights, yes. and I see your Instagrams, and I yeah. see everybody's Instagram. Like, yeah. oh my God, I ran into the legend Greasy Keys. <laughs> he's he's at the game tonight. Yeah. He, you've built up this cult following. Colt, I like that. <laughs> I, I, I hate. I look, look. I ha- I hate to call it anything else because like right. it's you're the personification of going viral in my mind. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you just. I don't want to take anything away from your skill set. It's phenomenal, but it's right. like people just latch on to what you do, yeah. and you're just doing what you love. And yeah. I, I really wish I had that. Yeah. Like, how? When did that start? Did it start early when you were just a musician and you're playing gigs and no. doing bars, or was it once no. you became Mm-mm. enthralled into the sports world? No, I mean, um, after that audition with uh, with the Checkers, and we're literally walking out of the building, and we're walking and we're talking with the creative director at the time, Eric Bridenstine, and he's like. Do you guys have any nicknames? You know, we want to try to, you know, have your jerseys. Where did that come from? That yeah. I should have asked that a long well, time ago. <laughs> so, but when we're walking out, I've had a few nicknames over the years, but at the time I was like, you know, well, Greasy Keys, you know, and and Jessica, you know, she was still there. She was going to be a little bit. So you had a little bit okay. and Greasy Keys. I like it. And so I think Jessica still has, you know, an original black jersey that has a little bit on the back out there somewhere. Awesome. But uh, I went with Greasy Keys because, and believe it or not, I came up with a name as something uh, as an email handle. 
because I didn't want to be Jason Atkins, one, two, three, four, five at yahoo.com. Yeah. So I, I tried to come up with something original. And so mm-hmm. I came up with the Greasy Keys with Z's, Greasy, mm-hmm. G-R-E-A-Z-Y-K-E-Y-Z, um, as just an email handle for, for to negotiate, you know, if I had contracts come through or anyone to work with me musically as a, so I wouldn't have to you know, use my name. Sure. Yeah. Um, and so when he asked me what, you know, was their nickname, at that point, a few musician friends had started calling me Greasy. Um, and so I went with that. And, and he literally said to us, you're going to be celebrities, right? And at the time, I thought it was fine. And it didn't think that it would really become what it is. And, you know, sure? and, and it's sort of like in its own, like it, I'm sort of like still like, I don't know if I could ever really accept myself being a celebrity per se, but there is a, it's a phenomenon. Yeah, that, that yeah is, that, that's what I was trying to yeah, describe with, yeah. with cult following, yes. you know, but you're kind of, you're not quite a secondary mascot. You're something more than that for well, the thank team. You. I'm sorry. Well, but, thank you. That's okay. You know, because it's true. You yeah. know, like people think of their experience at the checkers game. Obviously yes. the first thing they think of is, is the players, right. but you know, players come and go, come and, go. And, and people who are there and just even season ticket holders yes. going back to when they returned to Bojangles, yes. you know, there's been hundreds of thousands of players that have come through since then. Right. You know, there's only really been two serious, you know, like I guess in the case of chubby, mm-hmm. he's been there from the beginning. Mm-hmm. You've been there from the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. that's pretty much it. You so, know, like I'm kind of adjacent in a way as, you know, the second broadcaster of the team behind Jason Shia right. since that time period. Right. But you know, it, it's this bubble, you know, yeah. and you guys, you, you're like a figurehead, yeah. you know, but yeah. it's incredible because I, I can see you from my perch and I see the people come up to you all the time. And when they get that GoPro camera on you yes. and there's all the kids behind you dancing and going oh, yeah. crazy, I'm like, they, they're going to remember this forever. That's number one. So um, take it back a bit. The, the, probably the, the, the moment that I knew this was going to be something special it was literally, I think, the very first game of that 2015 season. And, you know, as I was coming into it, I was like, what can I do? You know, we have Chubby and I didn't want to be just just the organist, you know, because a lot of, you know, again, when you have the organ versus a DJ, you know, energy level wise, the DJ is always going to win because, you you know, you have all of the world's music at your fingertips. It's the full music. Right. right. The organist, you know, you know, you're just stuck with the organ. You're only limited, you know, to what you know. Mm -hmm. But. That's when I decided, you know what? Maybe I'll take it up and I'll put sunglasses on, right? Like Joe Cool. I took a, a page out of Snoopy's book yep, yep. and did, you know, put sunglasses on my Ray-Bans. And so... Um, it's funny you say that because I was wondering if you were going to come in wearing your sunglasses well, for the Well, I, I the brought them with me today. in case. <laughs> <laughs> just in case I was ready. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's something to sort of set myself apart, you know, and, and, and bring a fun element. From that first game, I wanted to do something different. And so the sunglasses were number one. But I do remember the very first game, uh, I was getting to play on a break. And I did something. I went up to hit a high note. And I raised my hand like this. And the, Sean, the camera guy, just happened to pan and hit me. For a second, I did this. And everyone went crazy. And that was the moment I knew that this was going to be the best gig ever. That's fantastic. And so that very first season, you know, I said Jessica got the call. So I, she called dibs on whatever game she wanted to do. And it just so happened I was I was able to take opening night. So that was that was really a, a fortunate thing for me that I saw. And so that first season, it was about, you know, finding a groove, mm-hmm. learning learning a lot about the game because honestly, coming in 
to hockey. I had zero experience. I'd been to maybe a couple of checkers games even like 10 years before, like before they had moved out of Bojangles the first place. Okay, back in the ECHL back, days. Yes. Yeah. So that was my first experience with the checkers and hadn't even given a second thought until this opportunity came. So that first season, obviously learning and listening and finding you know ways to, to kind of where did I fit in. Mm-hmm. Um, so it probably took until, that was 2015, I would say 20, 17 2018 is when i really felt like this was something that fans really genuinely loved um that's when you know i was like well i'll start providing t-shirts you know worked with the young artists and and did some cool designs and and so that began that that whole other uh, side hustle and entrepreneurial like trying to you know spread build a brand sure build a brand as greasy keys and then like you said oh over now and this will be my eighth season with the checkers uh, Shelby and I are kind of the two constants, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. You know, I mean, we have fantastic players that say come and go, which that's the, the minor league. That's the way If we're doing our job right exactly. as a team, they're as coming team, and going. That's right? good. Um, so I'm, so being that constant obviously has connected with throngs of fans. Yeah. Everything from little kids, like you say, to, you know, the college kids coming in on on uh, dollar beer dollar nights, nights and, to families to yep. couples season ticket holders obviously oh for sure i mean i'm on a first name basis with so many season ticket holders i'm just so fortunate you know like you know pre-game you know this past season was a great time uh a lot of tailgating because you know the weather was nice so pre-game i'm usually out there tailgating before my organ oh, set you know? okay yeah, you know mingling with the crowd so that's love it. that's uh something i really love doing because you know i've I've gotten a great rapport with so many folks. Um, so, you know, that's, and over the years it's grown. I've just, you know, I like interacting with people. Uh, I think if the organ wasn't as accessible, I wouldn't have as much fun. Yeah, it's in a great spot there. Oh, yeah. You know, I was it's thinking as you're telling that, I was thinking of some of the other organists that I follow on social media, whether it's TikTok or something. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the St. Louis Blues organist has a big following on TikTok. Yeah, but Jeremy Warrior. He's yeah. way up yeah. there. You know, yeah. I mean, he's up in the gondola yes. next to the play-by-play exactly. guys and stuff. And he's very detached from the yes. crowd. While they get into his music and yes. they love to send him stuff, it's not nearly as just no. immersive as your spot right there. And to be honest, I'm the same way. I've made a lot of good friends with, um, at least online, with uh, major league players, uh, a few other minor league players, uh, and no one else has a situation quite like me. And I wouldn't want it any other way. Like, I would not want to be in a press box. I would not want to be way up high somewhere. And that's where everyone else is kind of situated. Yeah, Because, you know, uh, the organ is sort of like, it's not a focal point, obviously. It's background. But um, I think I just really lucked out with the fact that bottom of 127, that Hammond organ sits there and never moves. And, and that section of seats is always open. Like, they don't sell those tickets. So right. that's why I've been really – I call it the grease pit now because, you know, people can kind of come and go through a game. And you'll see that, like I said, some nights some kids will get a little whiff of the greasy cam. Mm-hmm. The organ has the camera on it. Yep. And so kids want to get on the cam, so they'll come and crowd around and we'll have a good time. Or – you know, um, um, young couples or like season ticket holders, they'll they'll maybe have seats in one section, and when the, the team switch sides, they'll come so they can be near our goalie. Sure, yeah. You know, and so I'll get that interaction, so it kind of ebbs and flows throughout the night with fans, and and that just another just another fun element for me because I love that interaction. Yeah, you know, there's nothing like it. You know, come and make requests, 
Yep. Or say, oh my gosh, I didn't know there was a, a real person over here. They're yeah. just flab- flabbergasted. Even after yeah. all these years, you know, there's new folks coming in every all the night. Time. Their first game experience, and they're fascinated. That's a real person, exactly. It's not somebody that's just hitting buttons on a right. garage band, exactly. You know, and and uh, they could talk to me. Yeah. You know, I mean, Chubby's number one. I'm always oh, Chubby's yeah. wingman. He's the best. He's the best, but he can't talk to you. You know, you can come and talk to Greasy. You know, so I think I see that as an important role, like really an in-game ambassador. You know, same as yourself. You know, you're the voice, sure. but. You know, you're up high. I don't think people can reach you. Right. That's why I try to make my walks exactly. at 610. You know, yeah. get around and try to see as many people makes, as I possibly makes can. You, makes you unique and special in that way. Uh, but I really do. I take that aspect of it serious. And I always try to give people the best interaction. I'm always in a great mood. I mean, I, I can't not be happy there. Yeah. Um, so I always try to bring that positivity to every game uh, because I know it's going to be someone's first game. Or, you know, season ticket holder, I see them week in, week out, and I want to have great relationships with them because, you know, I want to keep them coming back, you know? (laughs) And not only the relationships with the fans, but you already talked about Eric Bridenstine when you first got started. But obviously there's a relationship there with your current coworkers, including Zach Harvey, who's a technical director. who Fantastic. Fantastic job. On the technical side of things, what's that like for you in a night? I mean, are you there for the script meeting and do you yes. have like a run of show and all yep. that? Like, do you kind of know exactly when the camera is going to come to you no. or is it really just, hey, Greasy, we're coming to you next stoppage, like that kind of thing? So, um, we, Zach, who's a fantastic creative director, I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm there for the script meeting. Um, and over the years, obviously, like I said um, before we started, is we, we've developed a great rhythm. So I can sort of anticipate. I mean, it's always Zach's call. Absolutely. Um, but I can sort of anticipate moments in the game where I know I need to be ready. It's like, ah, he hasn't come to me in a little bit. Yeah. I feel like it should be yeah. coming soon. I can kind of feel, you know, at what times. And and so I'm always, I always got a couple of choices depending on how, obviously, the play of the game's going. I try to keep at least two or three options floating. Okay. And, and then pull the trigger once, once he calls for Oregon. And so once the whistle blows then I know, well, am I playing underneath the announcer or is it all greasy? And so those are sort of things that sort of dictate what you're going to play, I'm gonna play but okay. I'm, I'm ready. Okay. So if we're up, I'm, I have a couple of choices ready. If we're down, a couple of choices ready. You know, I'm always trying to keep things uh, just ready. Prepared. <laughs> prepared, prepared, right? Try to be prepared. I'm sitting here thinking my anxiety would be right. dialed up to 11. Well, like, I, I would be like, uh, well, it can be. But at the same time, that that really excites me. That part of in, as a musician, as a performer, as a performer, you know. And again, that kind of harkens back to my starting out learning by ear. Yeah. You know, it seems like when I was in high school at the Fine Arts Center, you know, you had kids who were super talented either by ear, who maybe not did did not do so well on the technical side, but were just fantastic performers or players. Just on, the, on their own right. Or you had kids who were incredibly gifted classically who could not jam to save their life. You know, they only could read was what was exactly what was on the page. Right. You know, and so my takeaway from that was I was, I was grateful to have the ear that I had, but um, I knew I needed to be able to read some. Sure. You know, and so um, jamming became just the way that it went for me. So like, I feel very comfortable in any sort of scenario with other musicians or on my own 
to just kind of make up fire from the hip. Yes. Fire from the hip, fire from the hip. I feel that that really excites me and makes it fun for me. So in those kind of scenarios, I feel like I really excel and how does that differ then, you know, in terms of the checkers, how does right. it differ from the Knights or, yeah. you know, the cannonballers? Right. There's got to be, there's obviously different people involved. So there's got to be different processes, oh, two totally different sports. hundred percent. Yeah. So, so obviously the pace, you know, with, with hockey, you know, there's, um, you know, the whistle blows end of game or end of play. Then something's happening. Something's happening. Right. Whereas with baseball, it's I'm kind of waiting for the pitch, but in between pitches, you know, there's stuff going on in between innings, there's stuff going on. So I'll find that with baseball, I may play a lot more, you know, uh, I'm basically I'll, I'll play for uh, away teams, the batters, I'll play a song for each of them coming up. Okay. And then, and then when our batters are up, uh, I'll maybe play fun prompts. You know, a lot of the prompts, all those, yeah. any cliche, most commonly use uh cliche you could think of i will play it just and and again just have fans interact get them clapping yep have them interacting have them engaged um that's the goal every sport but yeah it's just about the timing and and how often so with baseball the pace is much slower for the game but i get more more opportunity to play and a little bit more leniency um because i'm experienced and people trust me sure you know um So I kind of just have free reign. Or I know, I realize. You're a professional. I'm a professional. Right? I've gotten the the vibe for the game. And again, it's different even between the Knights and the Cannonballers. You know, That's right. Cannonballers, single A. You know, Knights, triple A. Yeah. It's a big difference. It's a big difference. Sure. And so, you know, and I respect that. You know, um, I mean, I have fun with the Cannonballers. You know, Cannonballers, we're busting out the keytar. Yeah. You know, we're in, the, we're in the stands with the fans. Yep. You know, we're creating that small town. Uh, that feel, feel exactly right? you know because you're you're not going to get the eight thousand seven thousand exactly you might get it you know exactly at you truest might, field see, or bojangles you know, two thousand to five thousand and five thousand is like sort of the max there exactly right but it's still small town it's it, small it town. feels a little different but this begs the question because obviously there's a marriage coming up in january between the yes. charlotte checkers oh, yeah. and the charlotte knights yes have you guys started to talk about like what's Greasy going to do there? Because we were talking off camera about how right. for the Knights, you bring in your own equipment. They right. don't have right. the benefit of the Hammond C3 right. and all that good stuff. Has there been talks about that? And, and It's mainly about um, any talks have been like kind of where would they put me? You know, Because they want to keep that easy 100%. accessibility. Absolutely. So um, and which which there, you know, um, I'm out on the concourse, which I would imagine I might be somewhere uh, out on the concourse. So that makes the most sense logistically because that's where they I can patch in for for sound and things like that but I would anticipate kind of bringing my own my own rig for for that which you know I have a keyboard that's it's basically a dedicated Hammond organ that's a I was going to say does it play that, exactly. that very very close very to very close exactly like you you were to ab them and you you know the the average person ab- me exactly I would have no, no idea not know the difference um, they can drop you out in center field right next to the chillers. Need, I'm ready. Yeah, I'm ready to get. Or if they want to go crazy, we'll bring the keytar. I can do the same thing. I'm, I'm telling you. But that's a whole other aspect. Middle of January, playing yeah. the keytar in mittens. You might see me. It's that. It's not first time. Yeah. Uh, you know, because like I said, I've played many gigs. Um, there's actually a, a, a fun wedding corporate band that I play with that um, I, I bring. I bring the keytar 
for every gig. That's that's my hook there. That's fantastic. Uh, you know, play a wedding. Uh, one of my shticks is I get a photo with the bride. Okay. And I can. Uh, I wish I would have had the forethought of getting the photographer's name for all the weddings I've done, <laughs> where I've made sure to get my photo with the bride because I I could make the most incredible collage. Somewhere out there, uh, there, there's 50, you know, easily. pictures of brides with greasy keys and whoever can collect them all, like it's the Ocarina that of Time would, or something. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> it could be like one of those things where you see all the photos and it makes one big image. That's, that that would be that because be, that's be how many times I've done it. I swear. It's like me and like maybe three different suits and all these different brides. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, the guitar is a whole other aspect that, um, um, you know, it made its debut at the longest AHL game in history, yeah. by the way. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So that was that game that we talked so much about yes. over the last, uh, well, particularly that playoff series against Lehigh Valley where yes. we went into double overtime. Like, yes. I mean, that's what it was on everybody's mind. Was, yes. Oh, here we go, yeah. Charlotte, Lehigh Valley. Everyone was a little triggered, I think, you know, yeah. a little PTSD. <laughs> the only thing missing was Alex Lyon. He was up with the Panthers. He wasn't down with us at that I know, point. which – um, that was so cool last season to have him come and play for us. I had the pleasure of uh, his parents coming over and, and having a conversation with me and telling me how they were just impressed with me and, and how that game really kind of, you know, bonded us that way in their minds. Yep. And, yep. you know, that just really struck me. Yeah. Uh, struck a deep chord in me to have that connection with, you know, my man's parents. Yeah. Um, and to kind of, you know, the, the players, I don't get much interaction with them. Sure. Um, and, uh, but to have that connection with family members, just really, really, I feel connected with Alex that way. And I'll sure. definitely will continue to follow his career and, sure. and wish him all the best. You sure. know? So that's, that's been really cool. I'm the same way. And with Alex Lyon, he was the first yeah professional player I ever interviewed in my career Oh, nice. back when I was in Lehigh Valley as an wow. intern. Yeah. Um, my, uh, at, at the time, Bob Rotruck, he's the voice of the Phantoms who was like, go interview Alex, go talk to him for a little bit. And I'm like this nervous kid, like holding like this little tape recorder. I say kid, I was 28 years old, but I'm like yeah. holding this recorder. Like, and Alex was just fresh out of college out of Yale and like nice as kid as can be. And Amazing. then I, like I always followed his career. And then last year when I found out we signed him, I'm like, okay, this is going to be cool. Yeah. I, I planned on doing an interview with him, like a sit-down true interview like this, but he spent so much time up in the NHL, I could never get a hold of him. But, right, uh, yeah. It is cool when you get like that little, it's like fan mail, but in person. Oh, you know absolutely. what I mean? Like when people come up to you, and it doesn't have to be a player's parent. Right. It could be anybody, just someone. I've been a season ticket holder for 10 years. Yes. I love what you're doing. I mean, it, it's um, really gratifying. Or um, particularly like, we have the hardcore fans come in from out of town, yeah. from up north. Yeah, like they, the Bridgeport folks. Bridgeports. And, yeah. You know, they are the greatest and because they'll come up to me. They all know me already. Yeah. And so, again, that's just the whole other aspect that doesn't really click in my mind that, you know, we're being broadcast. And sure. People hear that. Hear that. And, and also, you know, the production crew are fantastic with, you know, put me up on the jumbotron or, 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 yeah. or using my, my shots out on the feed. And so again, that's just kind of grown the greasy keys brand brand, right? you know, like people all over the country. Because I got a, I, I've been to a number of AHL arenas. I've never seen another live keyboardist right. or organist yeah. in any of these buildings. I mean, there might be some in the West that I haven't been to yet, right. but it's, it's a novelty, but yeah. it's not a cheap novelty. It's right. really something that adds, that fanfare to the yeah. game that just kind of had some gusto yeah. to yeah. to the, to being a fan. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, it's just another just another element 
And again, just being accessible to me is just the, the best. Um, Cause that, without that, I don't know if I'd still want to do it. But to me now it's like, I want to continue to do this. Like I could see myself becoming like a traveling organist, particularly yeah. in the baseball season, yep. you know, for, not only for the cannonballers, but you know, they're part of a, the Carolina league, single aid teams sure. that are local, yep. you know, regional that I would love to just you know, go, and go because venues. a lot, obviously, you know, people from there would they even know me already. So sure. just to kind of, kind of do that. And, you know, wintertime checkers from my, my home base and then springtime, you know, Kannapolis is home base and then, Checker, I mean, in Charlotte, um, the Knights, and then, like I said, maybe grow, grow that way. That's so. fantastic. We have time for one more question, oh. and I just want to fire from the hip here. Okay, let's go. All your years, right? Yes. You, you've been playing sporting events. You've been playing bars. You've been playing venues. You've been playing weddings. What's the craziest story you've ever come across in your entire career? What's the one thing where you just kind of sit back and go? I can't believe that happened and that I was part of that or okay. I witnessed that or I saw that because oh, yeah. you got about four minutes and we'll squeeze this so in. So here we go. Here's Okay, here's probably the most embarrassing, my most embarrassing <laughs> moment on I, stage. I thought you were going to tell me something that no. happened out there that you saw, but you're going no, personal. No, I love I'm it. more personal. That's the only way. I love it. I, I mean, love it. seeing things out there, it's, it's um, those have all been pretty tame. But for me personally, so I was playing with a band. Uh, we were a corporate band, and we were hired to play the Hornets. Okay. For the for their halftime show one year, okay. which also I don't know if you know this, but I got to play organ for the Hornets one oh, season. So okay. They, so, so you've been all over. You've 2018, 2018, they had they celebrated 30 years of basketball in Charlotte, and so I guess back in the 90s, there were maybe an organist there involved. But that season, I got to play uh, one one game a month. They had a throwback night where they had old boards and old Hugo and. Nice. So I got to play. So that was amazing. But before that, I had the opportunity to play a halftime show there. And they said, we want to do a seven-minute disco medley. And so the band and I, we got together and worked, spent probably several days, several, you know, weeks putting together like a seven-minute disco medley. Okay. Right. And we were going to come in wearing wigs <laughs> bell bottoms bell bottoms the whole nine and we get there and it's all and it's very rushed like the hornets games is like hurry up let's go let's go let's go they made us set up our um guitar amps way off court um and only the drums were on center court with okay. the band um and we had to run a sound from there and pipe it into their system and when it came time to do the performance somehow the sound didn't get pipe through oh no and so it was just us jumping around for seven minutes wearing these throwback wearing outfits, these throwback the wigs, outfits the whole thing no sound except for our drummer and our guitar player whose amp was like so far away that it was like a, a latency <laughs> there's a delay and luckily we had the wigs on but we just just jumped around our little hearts out just jumped and acted like we were just playing our the best music of our lives and people just looking at us <laughs> like for you guys are crazy yeah seven minutes of my life did you know while it was happening or afterward oh like... no i knew what was going on i was like this is terrible <laughs> i was like <laughs> i was like, literally what can we do now i was, there, I was like slapping well. the keyboard going there's no sound i was like playing with elbows <laughs> I was like there's nothing going on here exactly so we just hammed it up but that's that was awesome. probably the most insane 
seven minutes of my life on stage. That's awesome that, because that, a lot of people would be scared and would be anxious and would be like, oh, no, like yeah. the whole thing failed and you guys oh, are just I, out there making the best. What well, can you do? It's live music. Right. Well, post game, I was like, this was biggest waste of time, you know, of my life and what the heck were we doing? And, and they said, luckily I had a wig on. Maybe hopefully no one would ever recognize me. I just exposed myself out there, but that happened. <laughs> there may be video footage of it there out there. I don't we're we're going to find it. If you, yeah. if you find it, please post it in the comments. <laughs> but, it, you know, I, I want to leave you with this. This is something that happened to me today, yeah. as a matter of fact. Wow. Um, my girlfriend was at work, and the FedEx delivery guy came and delivered something, and she has two bobbleheads on her desk. She has me, and she has Chubby. Yeah. And he pointed, and he, he recognized me and Chubby, and he's like, I love going to Checkers games. Chubby and Greasy are my favorite things oh ever. Oh, my gosh. And she's like, well, my boyfriend's, you know, the voice of the Checkers. And, and she's he's like, I know him, too. And he's like, but Greasy is amazing. Oh, and I'm just like, okay. Wow. Like, she was trying to, like, you know, my boyfriend, my boyfriend. He's like, no, no, no forget him. Yeah. Greasy yeah. is the man. So you definitely have a following. It wouldn't. A checkers game, well, it doesn't feel right. Like those well, couple of you. times where you can't make yeah. it, and you know, well, thing, it doesn't feel right. Well, my goal for this season is to be there every weekend, and so we're in talks about making that happen. So I love it. Yeah, love we it. want to try to make that happen because it is tough being a full time musician. Uh, you know, because you got to make priorities. Sure. Uh, but I definitely want the checkers, you know, greasy keys. I want it to be my priority. So going forward. I'm just so blessed and so thankful for all the fans that, who love me and support me, and, and I want to continue to grow it. So help we, me do that. We can't wait to follow you, whether <laughs> yes. it's at Bojangles Coliseum, yes, Truist Field, yes. whether you're out in Kannapolis or yes. you're playing any other venue, Smoky Absolutely. Joe's or anything yes. else here yes. in Charlotte. We can't wait to see you. Thank you, DJ. Jason. Thank you so much for joining us. This is so much fun. It's a great time. That was Jason Adkins, also known as Greasy Keys, the organist for the Charlotte Checkers, the Charlotte Knights, the Kannapolis Cannonballers, and just an overall awesome guy and an awesome musician here in the charlotte landscape my name is tj shalott i'm a professional play-by-play broadcaster this has been chilling with shalott make sure you like subscribe and follow us wherever you get your podcasts we'll see you next time as we're chilling with shalott